and uh, we will be continuing our study. We've been going verse by verse, line through line, through the book of Acts, and we find ourselves today in a, a group of passages that are in one of these areas that we often, if we're reading and are honest, we just kind of breeze through and don't pay much attention to. Um, there's one story in here that will catch our attention, but the majority of what we see in this text is, is kind of logistics. Paul desiring to go here and here and passing through here to get there and goes around this to be able to get this. And, and we often find passages like this that we, um, we just kind of breeze through. We don't pay much attention to. And Part of what we've wanted to do as we go through the book of Acts here, as that I've prayed and, and gone through it, is, is to help us to understand how uh, not just the pattern of travel and ministry take place, which is a, a significant portion of the book of Acts, the mobilization of the gospel, what it takes to get the gospel to all places, the, the great commission that was given in Acts 1-8, you'll be my witnesses when the Holy Spirit comes upon you in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and until the ends of the earth. There's, there's a lot of work to get the gospel to the ends of the earth. There's still today, with all of the modern advancements of travel that we have, there's a great task in mobilizing and getting uh, missionaries and, and the gospel throughout the world. Um, and so imagine how much more of a task it was 2,000 years ago. And that's what we see as we go through much of the book of Acts. But today, as we look at this section that's just kind of, just kind of normal stuff, you know, a lot of logistics, a lot of mobilization, what I was reminded of as I prayed through this and read this and thought about this was the extraordinary impact of just ordinary ministry. The extraordinary impact of just ordinary ministry. Let, let me begin and ask you a question. What did you have for breakfast three days ago? Most of you probably don't know unless you are so patterned that you eat the same thing every day. Eggs. <laughs> right? The, the reality of it is, is that we, you know, if you ever stop and think about all of the meals that you eat, most of them are not very memorable, are they? Moms are like, yes, that's what I've been saying. I do all of this work, you all eat it in five minutes, and no one thanks me. <laughs> because we begin to take it for granted. We don't think about, uh, the, you know, there are some meals that stand out. Big family dinners, we had Easter Recently, maybe you put on a big spread for the family for Easter, and you ask everybody what their favorite things are, and, and everybody gets their favorite things they eat. And we remember meals like that, but the, the vast majority of the meals that we eat are rather uneventful, right? Cereal, maybe a hamburger, uh, you know, pizza on the go, spaghetti, that's a, that's a dad food right there. Mom's gone. Noodles and spaghetti sauce. Man, you really want to spice it up? You go get some, you go get some uh, pre-made meatballs or just some, some ground-up Italian sausage in there, right? And, uh, but it's those meals, if you think about it, those ordinary everyday meals that are the ones that actually sustain us. If all we ate were just the important, big, fancy meals that we remember, we'd, we'd shrivel up and die. But it's the, it's the everyday, seemingly unimportant, seemingly routine, seemingly normal. You know, what'd you have for lunch? Nothing special. It's those things 
that are what enable us to live, that are enabled us to live for the Lord, that, that sustain us and that keep us going. And, and I say that because being a follower of Jesus is often very much like that. It is a long journey. Somebody uh, wrote a book about discipleship, and the subtitle was, A Long Journey in the Same Direction. And I like that. Because discipleship's not a sprint, it's a marathon. It is a long journey of faith. And the reality of it is, is not every day is noteworthy. Not every moment is noteworthy. Not every event is this great, wonderful, huge thing. But the reality of it is, is that God works in our lives day in and day out, day by day, just by the simple ordinary things of living for him and when you add all of that up together that's how God matures us that's how we grow in Christ that's how we serve the Lord and this text reminds me of this this text reminds me of how the the, just the ordinary things of ministry not just in our life but as we work together and we serve together how the ordinary things have extraordinary benefits in what God does. This afternoon, Lord willing, we'll uh, have our church picnic for the last few years. Every time we have our church picnic, we just kind of associate our church birthday with our church picnic because in the spring of 1889, people got together and that's where First Baptist Church began. And so this is the hundred and this is our 134th birthday, right? Man, we're old. <laughs> Y'all look good, right? 134 years of ministry is an incredible thing. 134 years of the gospel being proclaimed. The the majority of that, the vast majority of that is the gospel being proclaimed uh, here on this corner in in this area. Not every Sunday was noteworthy. But it's the ordinary faithfulness. That God uses to do extraordinary things. We'll see that as we look here in Acts chapter 20. And and I'm going to read the sections as we go through it. um, Because it's kind of a long passage. So I don't want to read it twice. We'll we'll look at a passage as we we go through that section. But the reality of it is, is that today, with the height of social media, often we, we want to see the extraordinary and many ministries today live and breathe on, on hype, right? You, you know, they're just, uh, they post these incredible things constantly. Everything's edited and everything's crafted so that there is hype and hype and hype and hype and excitement and excitement and excitement and excitement. The reality of it is that can't sustain our lives. It, it just, it doesn't sustain our lives and it can't sustain a ministry either. If we live in such a cycle of overstimulation, we'll, we'll burn out. The other problem is you've got to start making the hype bigger because the hype becomes extraordinary, like ordinary, right? And so you've got to go bigger, crazier, wilder. And that's a cycle with no end. There's four things this morning that I want us to look at as we think about this. That, that our faith, our faith is not built on a sugar high. Our faith is built 
on the things that sustain us. The Christian life is not creme brulee, but daily breakfast of bacon and eggs. It is the ordinary things that God uses for extraordinary purposes. The first thing that I want you to see this is I want us to see as we look at these verses the impact of assurance and endurance. The impact of assurance and endurance. You know, Paul is going to be our example here today as we look at it's his life and, and his organization and his ministry. But what he models here in the book of Acts is not unique to him, but it, it sets a model and a precedence for how the church should seek to carry out the gospel and do these things as well. The first thing that we see here is the assurance and endurance. Look at verses 1 and 2. Now, back up just a second. If you remember, Paul had spent about three years in Ephesus. And last week we, we looked at how uh, his fruitful ministry there ended up in a ginormous riot as the silversmiths that made the trinkets for the temple became upset because people coming to Jesus was starting to hurt their pocketbooks. As people came to Jesus, they no longer bought or cared about the, the worship there in Ephesus. And, and so they begin to get upset, a riot breaks out, and, and here's where we pick up what Paul does next. He doesn't throw up his hands and say, you know what, everywhere I go and preach the gospel, people turn against me, I'm just done, I'm not going to do it anymore. No, just quite the opposite happens. Look at verses 1 and 2. After the uproar ceased, Paul sent for the disciples, and after encouraging them, he said farewell, and he departed for Macedonia. When he had gone through those regions... And had given them much encouragement, he came to Greece. <laughs> I love this. You want to talk about it being ordinary ministry? Doesn't even say what he did. <laughs> right? There's no stories. There's no sermons recorded. But there was extensive travel here. That he went, he went to these areas. He preached the gospel. He encouraged the brothers. That had become so normal for Paul... That Luke, as he writes this account, as he documents all that was going on in the book of Acts, Luke was there with him. We have a whole bunch of we statements where the author is saying, I was there with them. Luke goes through this section of time, through these travels through Macedonia, and, and he just summarizes it. He says he went through the region and had, gave them much encouragement. He gave them much encouragement in, in that he proclaimed who Jesus was. He encouraged them to be faithful to Jesus. And I just love it, right? It's like it's a passing statement. He went on, he, you know, could you imagine going on a mission trip, okay? You, you go on a mission trip, you travel, and you come back, and they go, how was your trip? What did you do? Oh, we just told people about Jesus. <laughs> the reality of it, though, is it, it is those seemingly ordinary things that God uses to build us. And to build his church. Paul's ministry, even though there was exciting, amazing things that happened, Paul's ministry didn't primarily exist on hype. Here's something else that I would say. Jesus' ministry, even though Jesus performed miracles and there were incredible, astounding things that Jesus did. If you look through the Gospels and you document the things that it says that Jesus is mostly doing, it's teaching about the kingdom. It's, it's, it's teaching and, and preaching about the kingdom. 
Jesus didn't go around and set up a big tent and, and put out a marketing campaign and say, hey, y'all, you need to come. Come on, here we go. This is going to be incredible. It's going to be life-changing. We're going we're to change the world. It's going to be amazing. You've got to bring your friends. You've got to bring your neighbors. We're going to give away a boat to someone who comes. You, you laugh, but somehow the church today thinks that, that that's what ordinary ministry looks like. But it was the regular preaching and teaching and strengthening and encouraging, just like those ordinary meals that we eat. God uses those for extraordinary things. The, the, life, the journey of a disciple, as you day by day follow Jesus, as you day by day are exposed to those things, as you day by day are encouraged to, to follow the Lord, that's how God matures you and grows you and shapes you. We see Paul's dedication to ministry here. Of course, Paul, they've, they've looked at it and said that Paul most likely traveled over 10,000 miles and there are 14 churches directly established by Paul. It's a lot of ministry. It's a lot of work. It's a lot of travel. You, you, that doesn't take into, a bit, into account the hardship, right? You can read in, second, or in Galatians where he talks about how he was beaten multiple times, how he was captured, how he was nearly killed, how he was shipwrecked, all of these things. And I love it. It ends in saying I have this present anxiety about the churches and how they're doing. Because he loved people. He loved the Lord and he loved people and he wanted to see the churches thrive and be established. And he lived for that. Paul's travels were not just evangelism. We have to remember that as well. In verse 2 it says this, When he had gone through those regions and had given them much encouragement, he came to Greece. Paul, much of Paul's ministry, we, we, we think of Paul the evangelist. We think of all the people who, who Paul is reasoning with in the synagogues and, 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 and beside the river and in the streets and in the marketplace and at the Areopagus and, and all of these places that as Paul has an opportunity, he goes and, and he, he powerfully tells about Jesus. He, he tells about how Jesus is the Messiah, how Jesus is the Savior, how Jesus will forgive you of your sins, how you must trust in Jesus. And, and, and we remember that Paul is this incredible evangelist that God used, but we often forget that Paul also was this amazing church planter and strengthener. In fact, if you think about this, the first missionary journey, he goes out and it's evangelism. He goes out and he's, he's preaching to everyone. Then go back and read about the second missionary journey. And what you will see is a vast majority of the work that takes place in the second missionary journey is not evangelism. Paul is preaching and proclaiming the gospel. But he's following up to those same cities where he first went through that he might encourage the believers. That he might help them to establish elders in the churches so that they could have pastors. So that the ministry could thrive outside of just Paul. Does that make sense? And so we see this incredible work, not only of evangelism, but of discipleship. And that's how we grow. That's how we mature, is through this everyday faith. Through everyday being encouraged. Through, through everyday being persistent. Through everyday waking up. 
seeking the Lord's face, looking to his word, having our sins revealed to us and repenting and growing by sharing our faith, by serving the Lord day by day by day by day. That's how we grow. And there's moments of great excitement. The Lord will provide opportunities of incredible things. But, but, but don't live thinking that the Christian life is nothing but these super exciting highlight events. There's people that, that do that. Right? We see this with kids when they go to camp often. Right? Anybody as a teenager have the camp high? Right? You go to camp, you go to this place that strategically has taken you away from your regular life, that's taken you away from your family, taking you out of your normal pattern. You know, now today a lot of the camps say no cell phones. That's what they're trying to do. They're not trying to be mean to you and see if you can live without them. They're, they're trying to, to create an environment where the distractions that normally are around you are gone, that you can focus on the Lord. And what so often happens is that, that these young people, when they get away from all of these things and people are pouring into them about Jesus and they're pouring into them about how to obey and to serve and the distractions of their normal everyday world are around them, they have incredible experiences with God. Incredible high points in their spiritual life. And then they come home and they think, maybe I'm really not a Christian now because it didn't, doesn't feel like it felt at camp. Right? And you can replace camp with something else. I don't know, maybe you've gone to an incredible conference. Maybe you've, you've heard preachers that are better than me. I don't know what, I don't know what it is. But, but we all go through those cycles of these highs and lows spiritually right it's important for us to remember the way that we grow as a disciple is by just keeping on so we see the impact of assurance and endurance secondly we see the impact of preaching and teaching we see the impact of preaching and teaching look at verse three verses three through seven there he spent three months and when a plot was made against him by the jews as he was about to set sail for Syria, he decided to return through Macedonia. Sopter, the Berean, the son of Cyrus, accompanied him, and the Thessalonians, Articus and Sicadus, and Gaius of Derby and Timothy, and of the Asians, Tychius and Tomophus. These went ahead of him and were waiting for us at Troas. But we sailed away from Philippi after the days of the unleavened bread. In five days we came to Troas, where we stayed for seven days. And on the first day of the week, when we were gathered together to break bread, Paul talked with them, intending to depart the next day. But he prolonged his speech until midnight. Again, these are verses that, if we're honest, when we're reading, we just breeze through them, right? Because... The names are hard, the places are weird, and nothing fun is happening yet. But the reality that I want to show you is, this is ordinary ministry, that God does extraordinary things. It takes the ordinary things, the ordinary faithfulness, the ordinary willingness to go and to serve, the, the, the ordinary placement of yourself in the Lord's will and in the Lord's hand to say, how will you use me today? That creates an opportunity then for God to do extraordinary things. 
And so here we have him traveling. There's a couple of things that, that we should highlight here. First is, uh, despite hardships and opposition, Paul's commitment is to proclaim the gospel. Paul's commitment is to take the gospel somewhere else. Did you notice he, had to, he stayed there for three months and he had to leave because they began to plot against him again, right? This is kind of the pattern that we've seen through the book of Acts. Paul will go into an area, he'll proclaim the gospel, and, and, and he'll be faithful there, and at some point, some group, some person, something will begin to resist Paul's preaching of the gospel. And it will dictate then that Paul must leave, either forcibly or strategically. Here it seems strategically. Paul sees what's going on. He realizes the threats that are against him, and he changes his plan. He changes the, the direction that he goes, that he might go back through Macedonia again, because he's avoiding unnecessary opposition, because he knows that God has called him to reach the Gentiles. And so he, he, he changes his route, and, and he goes on. But the reality of it is, is that as he faces hardship in preaching the gospel, Paul never alters in preaching the gospel. Sometimes we get this thought today, and I hear this in church leadership and from different groups. People have changed. People used to listen to the gospel. They used to desire to listen to the gospel. You used to be able to make objective truths in our culture. But now people don't want to hear objective truths. People don't want preaching. They're visually stimulated through videos. And so uh, the, the, the man standing behind a pulpit and, and preaching or, or, or just preaching in an authoritative way that there's one God and one way to be saved. You, you got to get away from that. And there are many churches, there are many groups that have tried to get away from that. Instead of authoritative preaching that would say, thus says the Lord, there's suggestive TED Talks. Instead of saying that, that there is sin that you must repent of, there is therapeutic moralism. Wouldn't it be nice if we just all, you know, did this? Five ways to be a better you. Instead of preaching the gospel, we just preach morality or love or inclusivity. These, these things are happening in our world and amongst churches in our world. Do, do you see it? All of that comes to this, this heart that, that, that we've got to do something different because People won't hear the gospel now. Well, I got news for you. They didn't want to hear the gospel from Paul either, did they? <laughs> Why was he beat? Why was he ran off? Why is he having to redirect his missionary journey? <laughs> it's because of his commitment that he gives in Romans 1.16. He gives this commitment that we all know. <laughs> for I am not ashamed of the gospel... The good news of Jesus Christ, the message of God, man, Christ response. I am not ashamed of that message. Why? For it is the power of God unto salvation for all who believe. 
Paul understood and we must understand that the only way that a man can be saved, the only way that one can be rescued from their sin, the only way that heaven can be obtained, the only way that one can live for God is we must proclaim the good news of Jesus. We must. And if we're proclaiming the good news of Jesus, if we're really proclaiming the good news of Jesus, it ends with one of two responses. Yes, I believe this, or no, I do not. There's no third way. There's no, you can be okay and not, you know, fully buy in. That's not the gospel message. The gospel message is the same message that, that Jesus proclaimed. I am the way, the truth, the life, and no one comes to the Father except by me. The gospel is to be proclaimed inclusively to all people, to all nations, anyone, anywhere, no matter what sin you've committed, no matter what your parents looked like, where you grow up, what God you used to worship, none of that matters because everyone can believe in Jesus and be saved, but you must exclusively believe in Jesus and be saved. That's the commitment that Paul has. That's the commitment that we're given. Just the ordinary proclamation of that. Of telling people about God. That God has created you. God has created all things. God exists. Man, he, he made you. Initially we were sinless, but we fell to sin. And now we're, we're not only tainted by sin, but we sin. Our sin separates us from God. It, it brings the wrath of God upon us as we break his commands and break his word. Christ, God knowing that we were that, 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 that we had broken his word, knowing that, that we were in sin, knowing that we were under his judgment, sent his very son to come and live a sinless life, who went to the cross and died for our sin and took upon himself our sin that we might be saved. And response, how do you connect to this? You, you repent of your sins and you trust in Jesus and you follow him as Lord. That's the message that we're given. We can't change that message. We can't shy away from that message. And you think, well, that's just simple. I know. I know. That's what we're called to do. Well, that's just kind of ordinary, right? We don't want to dress it up a little bit. We can't. You change it, you lose it. We're called proclaim that message and that's what we see Paul doing he he takes the message of the gospel he takes it to wherever he can take it he invests uh, in future ministry leaders you, you notice this here in verses four through six all the names of the individuals that that he lists and where they're from that's pretty beautiful if you think about it all of these Gentiles who are now traveling around with Paul who have received the gospel message, who have been brought into the kingdom, who Paul is leading by example, who he's discipling, that they will be appointed and put in later as the ministry leaders of the church. And it's those men then that go into churches and just through ordinary everyday ministry of loving people, proclaiming the gospel and being faithful, people get saved and they invest themselves into people and they get saved and they invest people in, in themselves in people and over and over and over again until guess how we got here? Through that very same way. 
And if we want to reach the next generation, guess what we've got to do? The ordinary ministry of loving people, proclaiming the word, and being faithful. Investing in individuals, raising up leaders, and watching the kingdom work. Third, we see the impact of prayer and fellowship. The impact of prayer and fellowship. Look at verses, uh, we'll begin back at 7 through 12. On the first day of the week, when we were gathered together to break bread, when, when we were gathered, see there's those we comments, Luke's involved in this, we were gathered together to break bread. Paul talked with them, intending to depart the next day, but he prolonged his speech until midnight. Y'all think I preach long. There were many lamps in the upper room where we were gathered, and a young man named Eutychus was sitting in the window. He sank deep into sleep as Paul talked still longer. And being overcome with sleep, he fell from the third story and was taken up dead. But Paul went down and bent over to him, and taking him up in his arms, said, Do not be alarmed. Life is in him. And when Paul had gone up, he had broken bread and eaten, and he conversed with him for a long while until daybreak, and so he departed. And they took the youth away alive and were not a little comforted. We have here two things that I want to bring out as we think about the the impact of prayer and of fellowship. The first is this, that is the importance of gathering together as a community of believers, what we're doing right now. Notice verse 7 here. In verse 7 it says, On the first day of the week, when we were gathered together to break bread, believers grow together. The intention for God saving you is not for you to be a Christian alone. It's like being a bee without a hive or a soldier without an army. It's just not the design and it just doesn't work. God's design is that when we are saved, we are adopted. We are adopted into a local family. We are adopted into the kingdom of Christ. And so that's what we see here. They gather together on the first day. They they come and they gather together. Notice it says on the first day. That's not unimportant either. What was the first day? Sunday. Why was it important that they gathered on the first day? When did the Jews gather? On the seventh day, on the Sabbath. But the Christians gathered on the first day because Jesus rose on the first day. Just by coming together on Sunday, we are proclaiming that we believe in Jesus. Just by getting up and leaving your house and coming together and worship, you are proclaiming to your neighbors that Jesus is important to your life. We gather together, they gather together on the first day because it was the Lord's day, and they came together to celebrate their Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Notice they didn't just come together to come and sit, right? Uh, Some people like big churches because they can go and not be a part. This is a secret. I don't know. Maybe you've gone through a period of time like this. I hear this testimony from people often. There was a period of time, there was sin in my life, something extreme happened, and I really didn't want to fellowship with anybody. I didn't want to let anybody in, and so I found a big church very comforting because I could walk in, sit in the back, disappear, and no one knew me. You can't do that here, by the way. Our guests, we know who you are. We're so thankful that we have you. Please know we're not trying to be overly aggressive. We're just really excited to see you and that you're here with us. It's, it, it's hard to hide in a small church, isn't it? 
And so, but that's what you see here. They not only got together for the Lord's day to hear the preaching of the word, but look, it says they gathered together to break bread, to fellowship, to interact with one another. Because we need Jesus, but we also need one another. We need uh, Christian people that are committed to us in, in a family of God to help us to go through hardship, to, 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 to help us, to encourage us, to serve together that we might grow. Day by day, ordinary things, little conversations that the Lord uses to have tremendous impact in our life. How many people, if you sat and thought about it, are just godly people that have meant so much to you that you've known at church? To know that they've prayed for you, to know that when you had a need that they served you, to know that they thought about you, that they included you. Those little ordinary things have had incredible impacts in our lives, haven't they? I'm here today as a pastor in large part because of people who said, Bob, we see that you really love the Lord. Have you ever thought about preaching? Preaching? Preaching. I'm like, no, you don't want me to preach. Well, maybe we do. Let's try it. Let's see. Well, I, I think the Lord could use you in that. Changed my life. Just ordinary conversations, ordinary fellowship, living together. You know, there's a verse that we often think about when we think about the importance of worshiping together. It comes from Hebrews 24. It's the, it's the pastor's you better get to church verse. Right? I'll read it and you'll know it, but I want you to listen. It's not just about coming to church. It's about what you do when you're there. Hebrews 10, 24 let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the, draw, the day drawing near. Life is difficult. You're, you're worried about what you're reading in the news. You're saying, Jesus, why won't you come back? We're ready. Things are hard. Things are difficult. Get with God's people. And not just to sit and warm up a cushion, but to interact with the people of God. To feel their love and their presence. To be served and to serve. The ordinary little things of ministry that have incredible impact in our lives. Verse the, the fourth, quickly here. Verse 13. The impact of service and perseverance. Everyday service and perseverance. Verse 13, going ahead to the ship, we set sail for Asos, intending to take Paul aboard there. For so he had arranged, intending himself to go by land. And when he met us at Asos, we took him aboard and went to Mylatine. And sailing from there, came to the following day to Chios. And the next day, touched at Samos. And the next day, we went to Miletus. And for Paul had decided to sail past Ephesus so that he might spend some time in Asia, for he was hastening all to be at Jerusalem, if possible, on the day of Pentecost. Again, if we're honest, we just blow through these verses, right? But what we see, again, is this everyday faithfulness, this intending to make the kingdom of God invest in others, that, that despite the perseverance that he faced, the obstacles that he faced, Paul continued to proclaim the gospel, continued to, to build up the disciples. He, he cared about the churches. He cared about the leadership. What, what the next text is going to be is the first pastor's conference ever. Paul gathers together all the, all the elders from Ephesus 
um, in Miletus so that he can speak to them, and he, and he outlines for them uh, some very important things about the church. That's what, we, that's what we see next, because he is constantly just doing these everyday things that the gospel might be proclaimed, that people might be built up in the Lord, and that Jesus would be glorified. Everyday ministry has incredible importance. Your everyday life has incredible importance. Mothers, as you're taking care of those kids, and it wears on you, and you're going, what in the world? You're, you're investing your time and your heart and your life. And hopefully, for Christ, that they would come to know Jesus and be believers and do incredible things. You know, I'm often humbled as I pray, and I pray and say, Lord, I want to be, I want you to do incredible things through my kids that I would never imagine. Just through ordinarily loving them and, and your work in them. As you go to your job, and it might seem mundane, know that God has you there for a purpose. The people you interact with, the testimony you give of Christ, the, the, the finances that are provided to sustain your family. The, those things seem ordinary and mundane, but God is using those to make incredible impact in you and through you because we believe in the sovereignty of God and the providence of God. Amen? He is working and doing those things. I'm always amazed in preaching how God takes what I've intended and puts together uh, such an incredible moment and time for it to happen I would be amiss without, as we end here, and we think about the incredible, the incredible things that happen through ordinary ministry, to overlook the impact that Pastor Ray had on this community and this church. For over 30 years, nothing flashy, nothing fancy, but for over 30 years, Sunday by Sunday by Sunday by Sunday, Ray came before this sacred desk, he opened up the word of God, and he just said what it says. He encouraged you to trust in Jesus, he encouraged you to live for Jesus, he encouraged you to remain faithful to Jesus, day by day by day, week by week by week. He loved this church, he loved this community, he served wherever he could. He sat with people in hospitals. He sat with mourning families at, at their gravesides and at the funeral homes. He celebrated the birth of babies. He oversaw the marriage of individuals at exciting times of their lives. Day by day, year by year, ordinary ministry that has incredible impact. It is God's hand by which we have such incredible impact. Because the reality of it is this. We are not doing ordinary ministry in our own power. We are not living our lives ordinarily in our own power. But the Holy Spirit is with us. And God is using our faithfulness, our availability, and our desire to love others to build them up in the kingdom and to do great things. May we seek be faithful day by day by day. We can't live on the sugar rush. It is the ordinary faithfulness in our life. Just ordinarily loving the Lord 
looking to his word daily, praying to him, looking for opportunities to serve and love each other, looking for opportunities that you might share the message of God, man, Christ, response, the gospel with others, seeking opportunities where you could be used by the Lord. And yeah, you'll have some high points in it, but the reality of it is, is that when you one day stand before the Lord as Ray is now, you will be amazed at what God accomplished through everyday faithfulness. May we be faithful. As we close, I want to challenge a couple of things. Number one is this. If you don't know the Lord as your Savior, today would you come to trust in Him? You've heard about what Christ has done for you, about the gospel message. Have you ever trusted in Christ? Perhaps you need to do that today. You know that today is the day that you need to begin following the Lord. It's a big day for you in one sense, but in another sense it's just it's ordinary how God works, how he convicts individuals of their sin and he shows them their need for Jesus and he brings them into the family of God. Today would that be your day? Secondly, if you are a believer, but you know that you maybe haven't been faithful day by day and the Lord is pressing on your heart, maybe you're in one of those spiritual lows. Today would you commit to him to follow the Lord, to repent of sin? to realize the need to just live each day for the Lord and give to Him all of your days. And lastly, for those of us who, who walk with the Lord and know Him, would we be encouraged? Would we look for opportunities of service, of ways that we could proclaim the gospel? And would we remember that God desires for us not extraordinary things, but everyday faithfulness to that which He's called us to?